Welcome to Alchemy, the home of the open mind. I hope that you're doing well at the moment and that you derive some benefit from the guests that I endeavor to have on as frequently as I possibly can. I can't do it without donations and everything is gratefully appreciated. So you can find the links, if you're that way inclined, on the website through the usual manner. So then, on to the show. Alchemy, 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 Alchemy. This week's guests are Dawn Lester and David Parker. They've written a book called What Really Makes You Ill? Why Everything You Thought You Knew About Disease Is Wrong. It's a huge book, almost 800 pages, with a detailed breakdown of everything that they've found in their research and the conclusions that the data has brought them to. It's a very deep dive into the history of Western medicine, germ theory, viruses, outbreaks, and lots, lots more. And I can't wait to talk about it. So Dawn and David, you're very welcome to Alchemy. How are you? We're very well, thank you. And thank you for having us on your show. Yeah, it's good to be here. No, it's great to have you. I've, um, I've read your book, which is the very interestingly titled What Really Makes You Ill? Why Everything You Thought You Knew About Disease Is Wrong. Quite a provocative title. And boy, was I provoked once I opened the pages. I read the book and was absolutely glued to it from start to finish. So I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. It's going to be quite eye-opening for me and I'm sure for a lot of listeners as well. Um, but before that, there's a question I ask every newcomer onto the show, and that is, how did you get from where you were to where you are now? Okay, now that's, that's a fair question, and I'll try and keep it as short as possible. Um, well, uh, we, although we do say a little bit about ourselves in the book, I mean, I'm, I'm an electrical engineer and on was a qualified accountant. I mean, she's stopped that now. She doesn't have time for it. Uh, I still I still do, because uh, I have my own business, so I still do some electrical engineering work. But many, we've, Dawn and I have known one another for many years, and um, we have always been interested in all sorts of things. This, this isn't the first book we've written together, uh, but we won't go into those now. Um, so it was, but it was whilst we were writing uh, one of our books where we, uh, needed some information about viruses. Okay, and we realised at that time, this is going back some years now, that we didn't know a lot about them, so we thought we'd uh, have a look into that. And it was it was just a tin of worms. Uh, as soon as we started to look, um, it just there were more questions came up than than answers, and uh, we realised there was uh, well the medical establishment was not based on sound science. And that might sound a strange thing to say. It was a big shock to us. Uh, I mean, we'd had problems with uh, things the medical establishment had been saying, particularly personally in my own life with uh, various friends and relatives who over the years had been diagnosed with various cancers and uh, had gone along exactly with what the medical establishment had said and the treatments. And unfortunately, they all died. And um, as I've said before to people, you know, I had one relative, an elderly lady who refused to have anything to do with the medical establishment. And um, 
she uh, was able to be told after a, a year or two that her cancer had gone away and she was fine. So, you know, that was one of the big wake-up calls, certainly for me, that um, there was something wrong with what the medical establishment was saying. You know, all the people I knew that had obeyed the medical establishment died and the one person that didn't in my experience uh, lived uh, to a ripe old age so that just spurred me on to look closer so um, uh, what we decided to do Dawn and I was to really look into this and um, take nothing for granted you know to it, it wouldn't matter whether it was a professor saying it a doctor saying it the government saying it we took nothing for granted and we looked for the evidence we both have logical minds because of our various professions. So we just followed the evidence. Uh, we looked for the science, true science. A lot of it's uh, people are told that uh, the medical establishment is a scientific venture, but uh, we would dispute that. And uh, that's what our book will show as people go through it, that um, it's far from it. And the whole of the medical establishment is, is based basically on the germ theory with the op operative word being theory, <laughs> and um, and that just doesn't work. You know, the more we looked into it, um, the more we realised there was no science behind it at all. It's uh, just all assumptions. And of course, we're experiencing exactly that right now with this uh, fiasco that's uh, locking the world down. Um, again, it's not based on any science, as as we found. The there is no actual scientific proof that any germ and that includes any virus actually causes any disease uh, now that i'm sure must sound astounding to your listeners and uh, it was astounding to us when we came across it so but what we did is we thought well we'll we'll keep looking and we tried we looked at sort of all the biggie diseases anything that we could come across whether it was hiv aids whether it's tuberculosis diphtheria chickenpox measles anything. Uh, we even looked into sort of so-called ancient diseases. We even studied the Black Death, <laughs> would you believe, to see if there was anything in that where um, the mainstream medical establishment could claim, oh, yeah, well, this was caused by a germ of some sort, the bacterial virus. And again, there was nothing. And we do talk in depth about this in the book to explain what the, the Black Death was all about. So, we went, we thought, well, we'll keep, we'll keep testing our hypothesis that uh, the germ theory is a corrupt uh, theory and has no basis in science. So we thought, well, let's look at animal, so-called animal diseases. So we started looking at them as well to see if, if the same thing applied, that there were, again, no evidence for a germ causing the illnesses that are supposed to afflict uh, animals. And uh, as I'm sure many people in the UK particular, particularly will remember so-called mad cow disease, mm. uh, which seemed to afflict the UK and hardly anywhere else in the world. So we thought, well, we'll, we'll look into that and see if, again, there is a germ um, involved in this. And cutting a long story short, uh, we found that, again, there wasn't. That uh, the reason that uh, cattle were being afflicted uh, by this um, something that seemed to send them mad and then die was all to do with the government in this in the UK and the veterinary services, um, how they insisted that the cattle, sheep, but uh, mainly cattle, were dipped 
to protect their hides against uh, warble fly, which apparently could make holes in the hide so the hide was uh, less profitable when it was sold. So it's purely a commercial venture. But what we found they were doing is, and this is why this is why it was peculiar to the UK, uh, the government had insisted on this high dose of organophosphates that the cattle were dipped in. Well, organophosphates are uh, uh, attack the central nervous system. Um, it's quite toxic stuff, and uh, it was attacking the central nervous system of the cows. Hence, apparently going mad and killing them. Um, so again, it was nothing to do uh, with a germ of any sort. But of course, the government never have admitted that, although there's no evidence there because they know they'd get sued for huge, <laughs> huge sums of money. Uh, we even looked at myxomatosis with in rabbits. So we we looked um, in tuberculosis in animals. Tuberculosis uh, being the basis of uh, the badger cull in the UK, and uh, basically it. There was no science behind any of these things. And it didn't matter what we looked at, what disease we looked at, we realised there was no scientific basis for a germ, be it bacteria or a virus, that was the cause of it. And uh, we've challenged doctors, and we, the, the challenge still exists today, we've, is in our book, that if they believe a virus is the cause of any disease, um, particularly this latest one, the uh, coronavirus that they've used to shut the world down, is then let's see the evidence. Let's let's see the, an electron micrograph of the virus. Let's see a primary paper that characterizes the virus and its genetic uh, makeup. Let's see a primary paper proving it is the sole cause of the disease. Now, to our knowledge and anyone else we've talked to, including doctors, that, that information isn't there. And yet they've been allowed to shut the world down, basically, with no scientific information available, which I, I find almost unbelievable. So that's how we got started, really. It was almost by accident. Um, I was writing another book and... Uh, we spent, this book took about uh, 10 years of research to put together. So it is a, quite a tome, being nearly 800 pages. And uh, there's 40 pages of references in it. So we've been quite detailed in uh, the information so that people can check up on us if they want to check that uh, what our sources are and realize what we say is perfectly true. Astounding as it is, it's perfectly true. Well, that's that's really interesting. The 40 pages of references. I was struck by that. I mean, it, it is a huge book. And then you come to the references because there will be people listening who are saying, well, David and Dawn, how can an accountant, an electrician be qualified to speak on matters of public health per se? Germ theory, viruses. We all know that germs cause disease. We've been brought up with this knowledge. So what would you say to somebody who might pose that question? Yeah, it's, it's a fair question, and it's something we've been asked uh, before. And our answer to it is, I sort of alluded to earlier, we we have very logical minds because of the nature of our businesses that we've both been in. And, and anyone can do this. You know, you don't have to be. In fact, I would recommend that uh, it's best that people are not medical doctors um, because they're blindsided. Mm -hmm. um, they take things for granted. And we've been told this by doctors. We, we've sort of done quite a bit of work in collaboration with uh, Dr. Andy uh, Kaufman, who you may have come across. He's yeah. 
he's sort of exploded across the internet at the moment and he, he agrees entirely with what we've said in the book he's, he's got a copy of it himself so he knows exactly what we've been saying and he's of the same opinion so we know we're on firm ground and he's not the only doctor that agrees with us although many agree with us but don't speak out publicly for obvious reasons they they lose their jobs and uh, all hell breaks loose but uh, what I'm saying is anyone with a logical mind who is prepared to follow the evidence, take nothing for granted, can research anything, you know, whether it's the medical establishment or geophysics or uh, astronomy. Anyone can do this. You know, it's not because um, we've got some super brain or something like that, but we we know how to re do research. We know how to follow the evidence. And this is exactly what we've done by taking nothing for granted. Um, and as I say, 10 years later, we, this is the book of, we, we ended up with. And we also ask very straightforward questions, which is why we called the book What Really Makes You Ill. We didn't start with any um, assumptions. We didn't start with, oh, well, this, this causes that. So we said, okay, what causes disease? What is disease? We even uh, delve into looking at the fact that disease is, um, misunderstood as well uh, you know we explain that in in more detail as well but it's it's really asking very very basic questions taking nothing for granted at all and that really is the beauty of it I mean anybody can pick this book the size of the book may be intimidating to some at the beginning but for something that I expected to be a very very difficult read it's anything but it's quite fascinating and it reads almost like a novel in ways but it's one that has such a kind of a deep, um, it has deep implications for all of us. So how can you not be grabbed by what you're actually saying? I mean, I used the word provocative earlier on, and it is provocative, but in a very positive way. And there's a quote um, that's actually on the back of the book that's attributed to Voltaire, which is, doctors are men who prescribe medicines of which they know little to cure diseases of which they know less in human beings of whom they know nothing. And having read the book, that is just, I mean, it nails it. It lands the punch square between the two eyes. Can you explain why that is and why that quote is so important? Uh, well, it's, it's for all the things that Voltaire said. I mean, as, as you know, even a, a philosopher of some account. And um, he, he's exactly true. I mean, there's another quote before I answer your question fully. There's another quote that I often like to say, and that's from someone very different, and that was Napoleon. And uh, he once said to his physician that one day it will be seen that you physicians are responsible for more deaths than all as generals put together. And that's quite a quite a telling thing from someone of Napoleon's stature. But uh, yes, I mean, through our research, as Dawn has sort of just said, we, we realize that the medical establishment doesn't understand the human body. They don't actually understand the nature of illness. Uh, and again, that may sound an astounding thing, but in the book, we, this is detailed out, as you've seen, and we, and, it, and you, I'm glad you said it reads a bit like a novel, because we do recommend that people start at the beginning. I know there's a real temptation to think, oh, let's have a read at viruses, and look at that, or let's have a read at nutrition, and they jump to that yeah. chapter. But it's better if they start at the beginning, because we build the evidence through the book um, until we get to the end where we're telling people what we've found to be the true nature of diseases, which are nothing to do with germs uh, of any sort. And also, more, 
just as importantly, as to what they can do to avoid it. You know, we, we mentioned four factors that um, we found to be the basis of all illnesses and quite how those factors work with producing um, free radicals in the body and the important things to do to make sure that those free radicals are mopped up on a daily basis by proper nutrition, which is extremely important and something that uh, doctors don't really understand because they're not taught it at medical college. And the medical education, of course, is is one of the big drawbacks, as we found. Um, doctors are trained in a certain way to believe certain things. So they act on what they're taught. And if, of course, same for anyone, if what they're taught is wrong, then the, the outcome of what they do is going to be wrong. And it's, it, you know, it's not because doctors are evil people and are trying to deceive the public. They're just doing what they're taught. And as we found, um, almost without exception, the sort of uh, colleges that doctors go to are, are almost either totally or partially substantially owned by the pharmaceutical companies. They've obviously got vested interests in what is taught to doctors. So, um, you know, as I've said before, if I was going to be uncharitable, what it uh, makes doctors are little more than drug pushers, really. Um, you know, they have a book of symptoms uh, which they can look up if they're not sure when you go into your doctor's surgery and say, well, I've got this, I don't feel very well for whatever reason. And they don't get long to spend with anyone. And based on a few symptoms, they give a diagnosis and, and prescribe a particular drug for those symptoms. And, um, and and that's what happens, you know, and it's very often that they'll say, oh, you've probably got some viral infection, but they have no way of knowing that. There's no blood test done that has to be sent away to check if there is a virus causing it and what that virus is. Um, and even if they did send it away, as we know, because of what how the testing is done, um, they never ever prove that there's the existence of a virus and this goes for all viruses and we mention it in our book just uh, as a point of interest um, uh, Dr. Stefan Lenker, German doctor who you may have come across and um, it's only about probably three years ago uh, in Germany he challenged uh, the medical establishment to prove in German court whether there was a virus that caused uh, measles and uh, he offered money as well that if they could do it, you know, he'd, he'd, they got a reward, as it were. And of course, as you can imagine, they threw their big guns at it. And uh, um, but in the end, they failed. They all the scientific papers they put forward did not prove that there was a virus that caused measles. Um, but you never saw that. I mean, that ought to have made world headlines. But you know, you never got a whimper from the. Uh, from the mainstream media, which shows just how complicit they are in the fraud that's being perpetrated on the world public uh, as we speak. Um, that information so, by itself is absolutely explosive. You would imagine that would be absolutely everywhere, like the biggest news story of the year, any year or the decade. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that has huge implications. Yes. And in answer to it, the only thing, because we watched very carefully when we, we knew, I mean, we we know of, uh, of Stefan Lanker for many years, and uh, well, he has one of our books, actually, but uh, um, we so we watched with great interest to see what would happen after the court case, just how the world media would treat it. And as you say, they, well, they, didn't, they treated it by totally ignoring it, which they shouldn't have done if they were doing their job properly, which they don't. 
um, because it begs in, it begs the question of well, what are vaccines for? What is the vaccine that uh, is supposed to present prevent measles in, in children? But rather than asking these hard questions, the media didn't ask any at all. In fact, their answer to it was to start promoting um, measles vaccines for children, you know, and trying to frighten parents into uh, saying there's going to be a measles epidemic because uh, no one's getting the children vaccinated and, you know, this can't be allowed. Um, so <laughs> rather than say, well, ladies and gentlemen you don't need to get your children vaccinated because there isn't a virus that causes measles whatever it is it's something else it's nothing to do with the virus but no they didn't do that um and that's not the only instance where that happens so you can well see because of the as i say the lack of critique coming from the mainstream media they just don't do their job but worse than that they're complicit in the lies and falsehoods that are put out by the uh, governments and the medical establishment. So this is what we're up against now. So, and this is the only way they've been able to sort of push this idea of a pandemic is through the media. Without the media's complicity in this, they wouldn't have had anything like the success they're having now. Um, I'm sure it's the same in Ireland as it's been in the UK, is it's crammed down your throat every time you switch a, a, a radio on or the television in particular, every program they can think of, they've got coronavirus scares, you know, and uh, telling you to stay indoors, you know, save the NHS, save lives, you know, to play the guilt trick trip on people. Um, and uh, it's a disgraceful and very worrying state of affairs, particularly because it's not based on any science. And what I would have liked to see is the mainstream media demanding that information that I alluded to earlier. And we do put those questions in our book and ask people to ask these questions of their GP or their MP or anyone that can ask the questions of, you know, let's see the evidence. Let's see the electron micrograph. Let's see uh, the fully characterized virus with all its genetic makeup. Let's see the paper that proves it's the sole cause of this disease. Um, you know, not unreasonable things to ask when they've just shut the world down, I would have thought. So essentially what you're saying in the book is that viruses don't exist as described and the pandemic that we're currently allegedly experiencing is not caused by a virus. I'm correct on that, yeah? Correct, yes. Okay, so let's have a look at viruses a little bit closer. What is a virus then and why are we told that a virus is what causes A, B, C and D, including P for pandemic? Okay. A, a virus is a it's actually not a living organism um and that's probably one of the biggest points um that most people will think you know oh yes it's it's a bug it's a germ um and people spread it but it's it's a piece of genetic material in a protein coating and uh it is um according to Lynn Margulis a biologist it is um it, it doesn't do anything outside of a living host cell. So it, it's, it doesn't move, it doesn't spread, it, it's just inert So um, and non-living. Um, so that's one of the basic uh, <laughs> definitions of a virus. 
the reason um, it's believed to have uh, been involved with disease is because the word was used uh, long before the particles were ever discovered um, through the electron micro microscope in the 1930s, um, but it was originally used with viruses way back in the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, um, because it was uh, the original mean. it was based on the original meaning uh, through the Latin, uh, which is that a, uh, the word virus means uh, poison or a noxious substance. And so really we're talking about what the, the kind of substances that really cause illness, which is exposures to toxic substances, that's what affects the body, adversely affects the body, causes illness, causes symptoms, um, not a part, a non-living particle. That's the basic kind uh, of starting point. And the fact that, as Dawn has just said, that um, a virus, as they've named it, this tiny, tiny particle in the body, is a non-living thing. This is even by their own definition. You know, for something to be classed as alive, um, you know, it has to have certain characteristics. It has to be seen to eat and excrete and have a certain minimum DNA and to be able to reproduce. And these particles that they call blaming everything on uh, exhibit none of those characteristics. So even by their own terms, that, as Dawn said, they're not alive. They, so how, how are they supposed to do anything? Um, so we think, and this has been confirmed by various doctors around the world, um, including Dr. Andy Kaufman um, in America, that um, it, it's a mistaken thing. I mean, if, we, if I just take everyone back a little bit uh, in history to the sort of germ theory where... We'll, we'll take you back to Louis Pasteur, which I'm sure people have heard about. So we're going back about 150 years, something like that, when the, he's accredited with the germ theory, although it did exist before, when people were trying to figure out why people got ill. But <clears throat> about 150 years ago, they only had optical microscopes. So they originally started to see which were live things in the blood, which were bacteria. But when they first started looking at these things, they, wherever they saw dead or dying tissue within the blood, uh, they'd see clusters of bacteria around it. And so this was the first big mistake they made. They just assumed that these things were actually what was causing the problem or actually causing the disease. And uh, what we liken it to is that would be like blaming firemen for house fires, just because whenever you see a house fire, there are always fires firemen clustered around it uh, and so you blame them for it yeah. and so that was their first basic mistake um, but again there was no proof that uh, the bacteria were actually cause of, of the disease but as people who have sort of uh, looked at Louis Pasteur's history and uh, so-called scientific papers uh, many people have realized that he was somewhat of a fraud uh, he wasn't a doctor he wasn't even a proper scientist he was a chemist in actual fact uh, and not a very good one of that as history is now realizing um, but other people who joined with him realized there was uh, money to be made out of this uh, because obviously if you found something that you can blame like a living uh, bacteria, then you can invent a potion or lotion of some sort to kill it, uh, which you can sell. And uh, hence the, <laughs> well, we know where we are today with the pharmaceutical companies with their lotions and potions for killing things. You know, it's either killing bacteria or killing viruses or preventing viruses. It's all based on 
this misconception. But what they realized is um, they couldn't blame everything on bacteria, uh, but they couldn't see anything with their optical microscopes. And, and again, as Dawn said, until about the 1930s with the invention of the electron microscope where they could see tinier particles in the blood. And this is when they first saw these uh, tiny particles, although non-living, but they again made the mistake, well, these must be the cause of these other diseases, which we can't uh, attribute to uh, bacteria. But again, a mistake and no evidence to prove it. But, you know, the genie was out of the bottle by this time. There was people um, already could see that this was a, a damn good idea for uh, more lotions and potions and uh, slowly moving into the realm of vaccinations to prevent and protect you um, against these uh, viruses, these particles, and, and look where we are today, still based on this same fallacy. But uh, if you look, as we did over many years, to look for, well, where is the evidence that proves any of this? Surprisingly, it is not there. And, uh, and we're still in that situation today. And more and more doctors and scientists are realizing this, but they're either too scared to mention it because they, they get the Dr. Andrew Wakefield treatment as soon as you, for those who remember him, um, where they, the, the establishment crucify them and they lose their job, they lose everything yeah. um, just by trying to tell the truth. So that's a, a very potted version of the uh, germ theory and how it's not proven. Again, we, I hasten to add, we do go into more detail in the book about it. Um, but people should realize, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of bacteria. They're part of the natural uh, cleanup system in the body. In fact, without them, we, we wouldn't be alive. You know, the whole of life is based on the work that bacteria do. And the virus side of it, are, as we've said, they're in inert pieces of protein, basically. And some of the later work um, that, uh, that uh, Dr. Andrew Wayfield has done, uh, which we're working, uh, sorry, uh, Dr. Uh, Andy Kaufman has done, is on uh, exosomes. And I recommend anyone to uh, seek his website out and have a look at the uh, presentation that he did on exosomes. And I think it's fairly clear to see that where the mistake of the medical establishment is, you know, now that they've got a better idea and, and you can see what's happening in the, down at cellular level, these things which uh, are being called exosomes are the very things that the rest of the medical establishment are causing, are calling viruses. You know, but as uh, Dr. Kaufman has pointed out in, in his excellent um, demonstration, that the, these again are natural parts of the body. This is a natural reaction of the body to as a cleanup mechanism for uh, getting rid of toxins or various unwanted things that are in the blood. You know, they're not attacking the body at all. Whereas the, and this is why we come back to where we started with uh, the medical establishment not understanding the body at all. Everything they talk about is based on something outside the body attacking the body, whether it's a bacteria or a virus, you know, that the whole, the whole edifice is built on this. Well, once, and based on the germ theory, well, once you take that away, the whole house of cards collapses. They've got nothing because everything they do, every potion they 
a every vaccine they produce is based on the germ theory which is non-proven so it all falls down um and uh, we wouldn't be in the situation worldwide that we're in today uh if people knew that and could challenge the medical establishment to prove what they say because we know they can't so can i extrapolate from that then that you're saying that disease isn't contagious and can't be transmitted human to human because surely if i have the flu and i don't know i go and visit my mother i accidentally cough within her vicinity and she breathes in the particles or whatever surely she's going to get the flu as well no no <laughs> it's the short answer to that i know i know this uh, this is a bone of contention and we'll we'll explain a little more about it yeah and has, there has been strangely um i can't remember the date but it's it's in the book where some years ago this was there were experiments done it sounds revolting but uh, experiments were done where people healthy people had volunteered to see if they could be given the flu by um people with it with the flu symptoms literally sitting directly in front of them and coughing numerous times into their face <laughs> yes <Wow>. i know <laughs> so disgusting and this was done many times with lots of different people um and i'm happy to say not one of the healthy people came down with the flu so that the shows first of all that there's something very wrong with this uh, idea of being able to cough germs into people's face and then they get the disease that you've got so that just goes to support what we've said you know you can't there are there are no viruses or germs to transmit to someone so what you see is something else we're not saying people don't get ill but if they get ill is for some other reason which we go into great detail in the book to explain and what we believe and obviously other doctors now believe when they read it we give much more plausible reasons as to why people get ill now we're often asked about this contagion stroke infection thing and one of the examples that people always give us is oh well what about uh, you know my son you know there was you know the group of neighbors children uh, quite a few of them had uh, measles or chickenpox or whatever it happens to be and uh, he went along to a party and uh, then he got it you know that's that's a favorite one yeah and and what we would say well First of all, we know it's nothing to do with germs because, first of all, you've got to prove that germs cause disease. And if that can't be proved, then whatever is happening is something else. So we would then have to say, well, because we know that there's always going to be a number of factors involved in creating an illness. Um, and to know why little Johnny had come up with uh, these skin lesions, uh, would be chickenpox or uh, measles, um, we'd, you'd have to look at what their environment was, you know, what the atmospheric conditions were, what they ate and drink, what their diet is, their level of nutrition, um, and not least of which, oh, and also the sort of electromagnetic radiation where they may be, um, but also uh, what their medication and vaccination regimes are. You know, have they had any vaccinations recently? Because children all seem to <clears throat> all seem to get them around the same time, don't they? You know, uh, you know, you're, you're five years old, ten years old, whatever it is, and there's a raft of vaccinations which uh, the medical establishment reckon now, recommend that your child has. Uh, and many schools are starting to insist on, which starts to get rather insidious. So these are the things you would need to look at as to why they'd come up with these particular 
um, skin eruptions because any skin eruption, whether it's a rash or blisters or whatever it is, is, is the body trying to get rid of toxins. Uh, the skin is the biggest organ of the body and it's one of the main ways that uh, when the body's trying to get rid of a toxin of some sort or toxins, it can be plural, um, will come out through the skin. So rashes and boils and uh, blisters um, are just a sign that toxin is coming out through the skin. Um, so then you'd need to try and trace what those toxins are. And as we know, um, it can be in your water supply. It can be in the air you breathe. We won't go into uh, chemtrails at the moment, but I'm sure your listeners are fully aware of it. So there are many ways, and we did do discuss these in the book, many ways that uh, pollutants of one sort or another can enter the body. Uh, again, nothing to do with germs, and that the outcome of those pollutants uh, um, can be explained in other ways. Um, all, all I'll say, the, uh, what they're doing at the moment with this um, so-called pandemic is uh, I've, I've seen lots of people uh, comparing it to the 1918 flu, which is alleged to have killed somewhere between 20 and 50 million or some, something like that. And they're trying to say, oh, it's, you know, it's as bad as that. Uh, we have got quite an extensive section in the book explaining uh, a number of other far more credible causes for the um, illness illness and death around the world because it wasn't just limited to Europe or, or even the US. You know, the 1918 flu was a worldwide phenomenon, but we, we dug deeply and were able to find a number of sources that gave us information about the kinds of conditions that would have uh, helped to precipitate illness and death around that time. So even though it's put out that this you know, this illness just spread around the world. Um, there are uh, reasonable explanations for why lots of people were uh, ill and dying in around that period of 1918, not least of which is the fact that it was the end of, you know, four years of a fairly horrendous war and all the kinds of materials that are used um, during war and the things that people were exposed to and, you know, the men in the trenches and and certainly vaccines played a role um, or uh, can be shown to play a role in, in certain military camps, especially in the US. So it is, again, it's not one single cause, as, as David was explaining. It, there will be lots of causes, lots of contributory factors, and everyone's exposure would be slightly different. And so it's not exactly the same disease, but everyone um, may have similar symptoms, but they're not necessarily the same symptoms with yeah. the same intensity. Because it's the, the sort of symptoms that... Um they're attributing to coronavirus at the moment, you know, sore throat, bit of a temperature, a uh, bit of a cough, you know, congestion. I mean, those symptoms are uh, sort of <laughs> common to many types of illness mm. um, because they're the first things that happen when the body is under attack from toxins and it's trying to get rid of them. So the symptoms are pretty much the same. Uh, it just depends on the severity of the toxic load that you've taken on and of course your nutritional level which is necessary to get rid of it but what we found again with the uh, 1918 flu is the same thing that's happening now that uh, illness and death got attributed to it which were nothing to do with it uh, the same as is happening now just that you can sort of die of anything at the moment and it'll be attributed to coronavirus 
um, because that's convenient. You know, the figures are definitely being manipulated, but um, there are, uh, I think some, I think with the Italian people, they, with the Italian, uh, which they sort of changed uh, from uh, China to Italy as being the so-called epicenter of this coronavirus thing, you know, where yeah. I forgot yeah. how many thousands it is. But the Italians actually really re recently released more information about the deaths, uh, supposed deaths from a coronavirus. And once uh, you look into it, you see that... Uh, the vast majority of the people that had died were in very late years of life, you know, I'm talking 80s, and they'd already got two or more underlying illnesses. And uh, as one biologist that uh, was mentioning it said, you know, it was quite obvious they were going to die this year anyway, if you did nothing. But what's happened is they, you know, they're exhibiting some sore throat, temperature, whatever, they get uh, hauled off to hospital because they think they've got coronavirus, they've been frightened into it, then they're already in a fragile state anyway, uh, not to say least uh, in advanced age. Um, and then the medical establishment bombard them with some very toxic antibiotics and antiviral substances. It's little wonder that they don't, you know, that they die. Um, and uh, this is a very common thing. We, we talk in our book again about the phenomenon called iatrogenesis terrible word but uh, basically it just means death by death by modern medicine and it's quite a phenomena uh, that people are not aware of you know there's uh, there's a was a study done in america some few years ago um starfield i think it is starfield, yeah, starfield. barbara starfield yeah, and um she was looking into the cases of how many people in just in America alone who are prescribed certain medicines by the medical establishment and they follow the doctor's advice uh, religiously and they die from the drug uh, that has been prescribed. And uh, this is what iatrogenesis is. But the scale of it is what's staggering. Uh, it was estimated that there's sort of several hundred thousand people every year die from this uh, iatrogenesis in America alone. And this is people just doing what the doctors told them and taking the drugs that they've been told to take and the drugs end up killing them. Now, you'd have thought with those sort of staggering numbers that again, that would be an outrage that was swept the world because it happens in every country. It's not just America, but it's brushed under the carpet. Uh, yet it's, it's an outrage and um, it's a pity, again, if the mainstream media did its job properly, they would be asking the hard questions of the governments and the medical establishment of what the hell is going off. But they don't. I'm very struck by what you were saying about the, 18, uh, the 1918 flu or the Spanish flu, as it seemed to have been dubbed. If it was the case that, let's say, for example, and correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, but from what I can remember, it was initially soldiers who came back from the front lines who were infected or had this so-called flu. And then it seemed to spread. So let's say that the soldiers were exposed to a much higher level of toxins than would normally have been the case on the battlefield. I don't know, nerve gases, mustard gases, whatever it might have been. How then could that disease have spread to, say, somewhere like the US, where people hadn't been exposed to those same level of toxins? Or was there something else going on at that time that could have been attributed to 
reason A when in fact it was reason Z or Z that was causing the issue? Well, certainly, um, particularly with soldiers, and this includes in America, there was uh, high levels of vaccination programs in progress. And there's all sorts of stories of soldiers being vaccinated and dropping dead in the surgeries. Um, again, quite shocking. So whatever these cocktails were of uh, stuff that was getting injected into the arms of these soldiers, um, some of it was enough to kill them very quickly and others obviously lingered on longer uh, and still died from it. So, and these, these were huge vaccination programs. Um, so when you look into it, it starts to tell you why so many of these so-called uh, flu deaths were too young and very fit. Remember, soldier, you've got to be pretty fit to be a soldier, so you're young and fit, um, and yet you're dying. Um, so it was when we were looking into those that we realised there was certainly one of the big connections was the vaccination programmes, you know. So we, we've got shadows of Gulf War syndrome here, haven't we, in a more recent time, where, um, again, the authorities have tried to brush it under the carpet, but, you know, it doesn't take much research to look and realise, again, they were given highly toxic uh, combinations of uh, vaccinations, which is lingering on now. And there are many uh, veterans of the Gulf War that have either, excuse me, have either died or are suffering, uh, they're incapacitated in some way from, from uh, what was done to them, not only with the vaccination program, but also the various toxic armaments that were being used out in the Gulf. Um, I'm, de I'm thinking of de like depleted uranium and that sort of thing. So, you know, these are, uh, so it's little wonder that there are high death rates um, from soldiers in the 1918 war as they came back. But there's nothing that they could be spreading because we have to keep coming back to if there's no proof that germs, whether it's bacteria or viruses, uh, cause any disease and we go through as I'm sure you know in the book we, we tackle a lot of them uh, of so-called mainstream diseases um, and the evidence is not there so once you take that away you've got to start looking at other factors we're not denying that people die but as Dawn said the figures that are put out for deaths for the 1918 flu vary so much and it literally can, we've seen figures, and these are official reports, anything from 20 million, I think the most was something like 150 million. Now, there can't be anything scientific about that reporting to have such a varying degree between 20 million and 150 million. I mean, obviously, there's <laughs> not very good accounting being made of the people that die. So that's the first thing. You can't believe the numbers. But secondly, um, as we're experiencing now with the coronavirus, deaths get attributed to a particular thing, what the flavour of the day. Oh, well, you know, because they don't do any proper testing. Mm. So someone gets ill, they'll put it down to, oh, it's the Spanish flu then. Now it's the coronavirus. Um, in the 80s, it was uh, HIV AIDS. And, you know, we talk about that in great depth in the book, you know, because that's another one of these fallacies where there are many doctors who have come out against that to say there is no evidence to prove there is a virus that causes AIDS. And yet it's as if they've said nothing and they just carry on prescribing um, AZT or other drugs to people who they've uh, diagnosed as HIV positive. And again, we've got another example. There's a good comparison between the uh, test for 
uh, HIV, which is a very, uh, well, it, it, it's not an accurate test. And uh, again, we go into that. So, I mean, you could literally, and people have done this, you know, one day you can go and be tested using the test and you can be tested positive and the very next day you can be tested again, the same test and you can be tested negative. So it's, it, and what they're looking for, they're not, look, again, they're not never looking for the virus. They're looking for um, some other protein and I'm talking about the HIV test now, and that particular protein that they're looking for um, can be in your body for all sorts of reasons, uh, not least of which is if you're a woman and are pregnant, you'd have that protein in your body. So if you were pregnant and happened to have an HIV test, you'd very likely be classed as HIV positive for no other reason than they've found this protein in your body that would have been there anyway. And it's as ridiculous and as scary as that. And we've got the same thing happening with the coronavirus thing because they're using the testing is pretty much the same. And they use a thing called PCR, who even the inventor of it, um, a proper scientist uh, called Carrie Mullis, who unfortunately, I think it was last year he, he died. He, he said right from the outset, this is not what my PCR test was designed for. It was not designed for this. You know, you're going to get huge errors in false positives uh, or negatives with it. It's not designed for this. And yet it's, you know, he's the inventor of it. And yet they just carry on doing it anyway. Uh, so it's hardly surprising that they're going to get lots of false positives um, of uh, diagnosing people with coronavirus, you know. Uh, and, and I'll come back to what I've said earlier. They should be made to say, no, never mind about testing for some protein that is nothing to do with it. If you think this person has got a particular virus that's making the mail, we'll do a proper test for it. Let's have a look. Let's see what this virus is. And let's see the proof that whatever it is you find is actually causing the disease. But they don't do it. And this is was the biggest surprise to us and anyone who looks into this. Well, how can you not do this? You know, where is the science? And uh, as I say, uh, it's nowhere to be found. <laughs> And even aside from the science, the common sense doesn't seem to be found in the way that you describe it either. You know, to me, I have no scientific knowledge and that's just incredible. Surely that would have to be absolutely standard. There has to be some kind of benchmark if you're going to tell the world that the reason people are sick is whatever reason you're going to tell them and you're testing for that. Sure, yes. you have to have proper testing. Like we're, we're told about coronavirus testing and specifically COVID-19 testing. But isn't it the case that there is no specific test for that particular strain that we're told is doing the damage now, that being COVID-19? Well, they say there is, of course. They say that using PCR, that they can, um, <clears throat> they can do a test which is meaningful. And, um, you know, this is what they're planning to roll out across the world, you know, which is the next dangerous thing they plan to do. So they're going to roll out an unreliable test, which can give all sorts of pol uh, false positives. Um, and you can imagine what's going to happen. They're going to, anyone that has it in exactly the same way as it happened with HIV, you know, they give people this test and they'll get a false positive and then you're labelled for life. Uh, with the HIV thing, you've got this thing, you'll never get rid of it and you're going to have to take medication for the rest of your life. Well, they're going to roll out a similar test to say, well, you've got coronavirus or uh, um, and therefore we're going to have to isolate you or we're going to have to do this, that and the other. Or the other thing, of course, they're racing to get a vaccine or we're going to have to, you know, start rolling these vaccines out. And, uh, 
you know, people are going to, um, we'd be two of them, be objecting to it, knowing what we know about vaccines. Um, so they know there's, there's people that are resistant to wanting vaccines. Anyone who's done any research on vaccines knows that one is they do, they do not confer immunity, and we explain this in the book, um, but they have the potential and do cause lots of harm. I mean, you put in te- toxic substances into someone's bloodstream. Uh, and we name what some of these substances are, you know, not least of which is mercury and formaldehyde and uh, various others. And I often say to people, you know, you've only got to think that if the regulations state that if the doctor in his surgery is about to uh, vaccinate you, he's about to inject something into your bloodstream, but he accidentally drops the syringe on the floor and it breaks, then that has to be treated as toxic waste for the cleanup. Now, you've got to ask yourself, if that has to be treated as toxic waste, it's got no business in my bloodstream, and certainly not my child's bloodstream. Um, and th- this gives people pause for thought, I would <laughs> I would think. But as I say, we, we're going down something, going to be going down something very similar again with this coronavirus nonsense as happened in the 80s with, with the AIDS. Uh, you know, again, they're predicting a pandemic which is going to sweep the world and, you know, millions upon millions of people were going to die and it was going to be awful, you know, and it wasn't going to be just homosexuals, this was going to be heterosexuals, it was going to affect everyone. Well, none of that, thank goodness, came to pass, but it didn't stop them predicting it and scaring the bejeebas out of everybody. Um, now, they've gone a step further with this one um, by locking down the world based on nothing scientific at all. And it's not going to be until people realise the lie, if you like, or realise the lack of science and push back against this, um, they're just going to keep marching on. And we're going to find ourselves being more confined. We're going to find ourselves being compulsory vaccinated with God knows what. And um, it's, it's a very scary future. They've never, ever been able to do this before. Let's touch further on vaccines for a second, because uh, you mentioned that vaccines cannot result in proper immunity. Now, we know the body can create immunity to certain diseases naturally if somebody has been exposed to a disease. What's the difference then between a vaccine? Because surely the vaccine does expose you to a little bit of the disease and then the body creates that immunity. Now, I don't think that could be the case from a very unscientific point of view for the simple reason that there appear to be booster shots for so many different vaccines. Surely if the vaccine worked, that wouldn't be necessary. But perhaps you can shed some uh, better light on it than I certainly sure. can. Sure. Um, um, you know, uh, we again, we do explain this in detail in, in the book. But <clears throat> there's a couple of, couple of basic fallacies in that. And one is that uh, vaccines confer immunity. Uh, they don't, and there is no proof that they do. Again, same fallacies as we've been talking about all the time. People assume, and we were no different when we were growing up, uh, we thought vaccinations was a proven science and that, uh, you know, it would confer immunity so you wouldn't get the mumps, measles, chickenpox, whatever it happened to be. Um, but there is no science behind that, nothing to prove it. So that's the first thing. But secondly, uh, it would have to rely on the body having this thing called an immune system, which is again another fallacy. Um, the body, uh, there is not something, uh, uh, we'll have to stop because I'm trying to explain it briefly rather than uh, at length in the book. Um, the basic fallacy, and again, why Voltaire's 
quote on the book is that, you know, the medical establishment don't understand the human body. And this is one of the glaring anomalies. They think the body has this immune system, which they can boost up by injecting it with toxins of one sort or another. Uh, but that's a fallacy. The body doesn't have an immune system. The only thing the body has, and I say the only thing, is actually very sophisticated, is health. And the natural state of the body is health. And it has various mechanisms for clearing out its system, which it does all the time. It's constantly, you know, anything that should enter uh, into the body, whether it's something you've eaten, breathed in, or even had injected in your arm, um, it's got various mechanisms for getting rid of it. But it's not because it's got an immune system, it's just its normal bodily operation. You know, we've got various organs like the liver and the kidneys, you know, our main organs for expelling toxins. But sometimes, depending on the level of uh, toxic intake, they can be overloaded uh, with trying to get rid of the toxins. And so they, it brings in various other organs of the body, which can be the skin, as we talked about earlier. So it's trying to eject toxins out through the skin. Another thing that it can do, it employs the mucous membranes. So, and this is why quite often you get these symptoms of catarrh and nasal congestion or congestion on the lungs because the mucous membranes are trying to absorb this rubbish and get it out of the body, you know, with a coughing it out or sneezing it out. But they're, they're toxins, they're not germs. Um, and just as a, a point of interest, um, this is what can happen when uh, the body is given antibiotics. Um, as we often point out to people, antibiotics means anti-life. So you're taking something that's against life. And the idea again, the medical establishment is, it's something to kill things in your body, okay? Um, in this case, bacteria. But what in actual fact happens is the body sees this uh, stuff as a toxin, which it is, it's very toxic. And so it looks to expel it as quickly as possible. And it fires up the endocrine system in the body, which it's has quite a, some very important features, the endocrine system, again explained in the book. But it fires up the endocrine system to get this uh, toxin out of, the, out of its body as quickly as possible, which then gives the impression that uh, the antibiotics have uh, done something good because the person sort of gets better. But it's the, only the body can heal itself. As we say in the, in the book, only the body can heal itself and it's got the mechanisms to do it, providing you give it the opportunity to do so. And we talk about the things that you need to provide for the body, which is mainly a good nutritious diet, which is getting harder and harder to come by. Um, I mean, we do, we do recommend a, a plant-based diet and where you can, uh, organic food. And this is not for any special reason other than because those, if you buy organic fruit and vegetables, they're less likely to be polluted by insecticides and pesticides. And they're more likely to have been grown in soil that has got the basic nutrients in the soil so that the plants can uptake those nutrients and then confer them to you when you eat them. Because a lot of the fruit and vegetables that are not organically grown are grown in chemicals, really. Um, so some of those nutrients, although the fruit and veg may look quite nice, but they've not had the chance to take in the nutrients that 
they would normally have. So you are then eating them, think you're having a good diet, but you're going to be lacking in certain nutrients. And it's those nutrients that drive the body's system, support the body's system, right down at cellular level in enabling it to work correctly and eliminate the toxins that we're exposed to on a daily basis, whether it's through the air, what we drink, what we eat, what we breathe. Um, uh, So again, the importance of good nutrition, which again, doctors have very little training on nutrition when they go through medical college and they will admit that themselves. They know very little about it. So it's hardly surprising that their first recourse is to give you some drug uh, if you've got something wrong with you because they don't understand what's going off. But also misunderstanding the um, human body and the whole nature of disease. The the medical establishment system is based on the whole idea that there is a disease entity, if you like, kind of out there that is going to attack you um, or attack your body. And so you have to fight it. And it's it's a whole military based um, idea. And it's, it's just completely uh, unsubstantiated when you look at it, because illness is generated within the body um, and the symptoms that are um, claimed to be a symptom of a particular disease are, as as David said, you know, as we explained fully throughout the book, the the body's efforts to expel toxins, repair damage and also to restore health. So the symptoms are part of the body's normal processes to actually help you get healthier um, they're not a sign of a disease, um, but the whole um, military-based idea that you know that, that something attacks the body, an entity disease attacks the body, and you've got to fight it off. Mm. It, it's just completely mm. false. It is just so wrong. Um, and again, that was just so out- astounding to us to to realise that that just basic paradigm is, is completely the wrong way round. Because what what we found, and again point out in the book, there are there are not lots of different diseases. There are just a variety of symptoms um, based on quite a, a few. Well, as we point out in the book, there are four basic reasons that people get ill, um, and we state what those are, and then then people know what to do about it. You know, this is electromagnetic radiation, uh, lack of nutrition, um, high intake of toxins and um, sustained levels of stress. And these these are the four basic things that cause all illness. And the mechanism they work through in the body, all of those things c- cause the release of uh, what are called free radicals within the body. And the free radicals being released in the body are a natural thing throughout the day. This happens, it's not something unusual, but the body can cope with this under normal circumstances, providing it's as of correct nutrition, the rest of what we've just talked about, and and also correct sleep, um, because when you go when you're asleep during hours of darkness, um, that's when that signals to the body to kick in um, to actually start clearing up through the the release of antioxidants to start clearing up these free radicals. Now, if it's not able to do that. For, for any reason, then these free radicals stay within the body, they don't get expelled, and they are destructive. You know, they will, at cellular level, they will attack cells, they're destructive to cells. So it's very important that they get flushed out, which which the body would do normally, a healthy body would do that, and it's not a problem. But left for any length of time, you'll get various 
problems with various organs of the body, you know, um, including um, the growth of cancers, you know, because that's what that is. It's not caused by a bacteria or a virus, which they sometimes try to pin it on. Um, it's caused by an unhealthy body over a sustained length of time that has not been able to clear out the um, free radicals that have been uh, released into its system and uh, never cleared out properly. And uh, so, again, I'm only giving a thumbnail sketch here, but we do explain it in depth in, in the book. <laughs> I have to keep referring to the book because as I'm sure people can appreciate it's it's nearly 800 pages, so uh, nearly eight, uh, nearly 800 pages. So we're not going to be able to give all the details in a uh, sort of an hour and a half's uh, discussion, much as we'd like to. It's fascinating listening to you speaking about it because it really comes to life for me having read the book. There's just something that struck me while you were both talking there to do with free radicals. And you mentioned exosomes earlier on and how exosomes could possibly be what are assumed to be viruses now. Okay. Yeah. Now, I think vitamin C is very effective at clearing free radicals or mopping up some of the free radicals. And I've also seen a lot of kind of stories emerging and a lot of doctors actually speaking out about how vitamin C can be quite useful in not just preventing or curing so many symptoms of so-called disease, but specifically viruses. So could it be the case that there's a link between free radicals and exosomes that, are, and that perhaps exosomes are caused by the body trying to mop up the free radicals when there's an absence of the correct conditions to do that naturally? Well, from what we can see, and as I say, I recommend that people have a look at uh, Andy Kaufman's um, great explanation, complete with pictures, which is always <laughs> easier to understand because it's fairly complex uh, uh, story really but uh, yes you're absolutely right and I, I think this is um, what they've mistakenly thought of as viruses what they've called viruses and something that's attacked the body from the outside whereas and it's good that they use the different name of exosomes and when you look at the um, uh, electron micrograph pictures of an exosome or what they are referring to as a virus they look identical so, and exosomes are released naturally by the body as part of its cleanup mechanism. Yeah, uh, this is true. And I think in the early days, they again made that mistake when they first were able to see these things and they had just assumed that, that they were something that had come into the body from outside and were attacking it in some way. Uh, but it's been convenient for them to stick with that. Um, as someone once said, um, it's easier to blame a virus than it is to blame a chemical company because you can't sue a virus and I think there's a lot of truth in that um, when you think of some of the toxic spills that uh, companies have made throughout the world over the years um, uh, when they've not been able to get away with it but you know um, there are certain areas which and Wuhan in China might be one of them where uh, a lot of the deaths there, I mean, we're not denying that people haven't died, but it's a case of what they die of. And uh, China's not got a particularly good record at, um, uh, so what shall we say, uh, looking after its uh, toxic waste. And uh, we could be looking at something else that's happened over there. But again, much better to blame a virus because then the whatever the company was that uh, may be responsible is not going to get sued because it's obviously not their fault. Uh, you were talking about vitamin C. I mean, uh, it is a, a 
potent antioxidant and obviously will certainly help to um, mop up and um, clear the body of, of damaging free radicals. But it isn't, it isn't the only antioxidant. There are um, plenty of others, uh, um, you know, vitamin um, E as well. But the body uh, creates or generates its own glutathione, which is another extremely important antioxidant. Mm-hmm. It's not generally something that is kind of part of the diet but it is something the body produces when it has the right nutrient or nutritional intake that it will then have a a, a generate a good supply of glutathione which will certainly help to mop up the free radicals Um, the problem is that because they've always looked at these particles as as viruses and bad or whatever that the the real functions of um so many parts of the body and what's actually really happening in the body um, is poorly understood, which again goes back to the Voltaire quote that, you know, they really don't understand disease um, and the human body. And and so many assumptions have been made that are completely wrong. Um, uh, But it's the body isn't a battleground, um, you know, as as we show it's it's not a battleground, but it, it there are processes that go on that um, help the body to uh, clear itself out of, of the nasty, you know, the toxins and, and also to, to generate uh, its own healing. I mean, it, it does self-heal. It's the body that can heal itself, but it does need to be given everything it needs to support those processes, to support the mechanisms that, uh, that are involved in uh, expelling toxins and uh, again, repairing damage, the body can, to a certain extent. I mean that there there are levels, and and again, this not necessarily known exactly, but there are levels of damage that can actually be so, uh, you know, so bad that the body isn't able to really get overwhelmed. Yes, it's overwhelmed. Can... But at the same time, mm. it's the ability of the body to self heal is is quite phenomenal and grossly underestimated. I suppose if we're talking of the body as kind of a holistic symbiotic system that works, yes. it reminds me of the movie Avatar, which is one I come back to time and time again. I think there's such a message in that movie. And the planet of Pandora, everything was functioning so perfectly and so symbiotically and holistically until such a time as the humans arrived. The humans were, humans were the, uh, the poison, if you like, and destroyed that system so that it could no longer self-heal and do the things it was meant to do and the harm that was caused there. It really just struck me reading the book when you were describing it. And again, then, that analogy comes to mind as you're speaking about it now. Would that be a decent one? Yes, uh, I I think so. I mean, uh, Avatar just happens to be one of my favourite movies and like you, I watched it many times. I think it was so well done as entertainment as much as anything. But yes, there's a nice underlying story there uh, and I enjoyed it very much. But um, but yes, the, the coming back to the sort of analogy of the body, if it's treated right, it it's a self-regulating organism which works perfectly and can look after itself perfectly. And as we often say, you know, sort of, Good health is very simple and very natural, but it has quite strict rules. And if people abuse those rules, you know, they think, I don't need to eat uh, decent food or I can smoke as much as I like or I can put no end of toxins into my body, whatever way they do it, and everything will be okay because there's a pill of some sort that will clear it up. Well, you know, they're just asking for trouble. As I say, the rules are very simple, but they're quite strict. and, uh, And people can live 
long and very healthy lives from sort of the cradle to, cradle to the grave. You know, um, <clears throat> illness is not a natural function of life. It, it isn't. And uh, there is no reason to actually get ill. It becomes difficult in this day and age when we're assaulted by um, ever-increasing degrees of uh, toxicity. Um, so, uh, and not least of which is the possibly the forthcoming uh, release of 5G. Mm -hmm. I mean, for anyone who's looked into it, I mean, electromagnetic radiation, again, it's one of the four factors that uh, uh, damage the body. Um, now, the governments of the world still hide behind the heating effect of electromagnetic radiation, and their standards are set that um, for a bit like a microwave, they're set at the heating effect of a human cell. And providing the heating effect of the human cell is below a certain level, they say that um, the electromagnetic radiation that you're receiving is quite safe. Well, there are numerous scientists, numerous, and I'm talking hundreds around the world, who would dispute that and show scientifically that damage occurs to the cell way below there's any heating effect. But of course, this is very handy for the telecommunications companies to hide behind because they, the governments are bought and paid for really by big money. But they can hide behind the government uh, standards, which uh, don't protect anyone. Now we're about to enter this era of 5G, which uh, is putting out all sorts of different high frequencies, uh, which is certainly not going to be beneficial to anyone. Uh, and once people realize that, you know, the human body is an electrochemical system, it's not just a chemical system, you know, it has very... Uh, tiny electrical voltages flowing through the body that make things work, like the heart. It works on electrical pulses. Now, because they're so tiny, those voltages, it's very easy for those little voltages to be disrupted externally from extraneous frequencies. You know, it's a bit like uh, having your radio on and someone kicks up with an electric drill close by with that that's not suppressed and you can hear your radio go crazy, crackling and hissing and um, and that's that's electromagnetic radiation affecting your radio. Well, the same thing happens to your human body and uh, sustained and uh, of the right levels, um, it disrupts the body so that it doesn't function properly right down at cellular level. Uh, and that's why it's one of the four factors that we mention in our book, which uh, can lead to bad health. And there's many examples of this. And 5G is extremely interesting and pertinent at the moment. And we're seeing wide-scale censorship of any mention of 5G right across the internet over the past number of weeks in particular and the mainstream seem to be coming down really hard on the 5G conspiracy heavy use of quotation marks there but yeah. it's it's been quite clever the way 5G has been marketed because it seems like it's just a little upgrade on 4G because we had we had 2G and 3G and 4G and now we have 5G but that's not the case at all because 5G as you alluded to there is so many different frequencies simultaneously. It's not just a single kind of bandwidth. It's it's a load just being thrown and some of it extremely high frequency. Can you tell us a bit about ionizing radiation versus non-ionizing and how that can harm the body and cause disease within the body and how that could potentially be linked to what we're seeing now? Okay, well, I mean, basically, uh, ionizing radiation is when we think we think of ionizing radiation with uh, sort of radioactive materials, you know, uranium and that sort of thing, yeah. where they can displace uh, an electron from the uh, 
a sort of atomic structure in your body. And so it creates um, this free electron, which then can go on to cause damage. And that's so wherever they talk of ionizing radiation, <clears throat> it means that it's powerful enough of how it works to knock an electron off an atom and create an ion, <laughs> so hence ionizing radiation. And yes, that causes damage, as we know, of, uh, <clears throat> from uh, nuclear radiation, which is an ionizing radiation. But that's not to say then that non-ionizing radiation, which is what we're getting from uh, electrical things like phones and phone masts and your Wi-Fi and 5G, 4G, 3G, they're, they're all non-ionizing non radiation. Any electrical equipment will give off electromagnetic radiation. It's a natural function, but that doesn't mean to say it's a safe function. And because we're in this technological age uh, where we're surrounded more and more by electrical devices all the time, uh, and with this electrical smog, as some have referred to it, which you can't see, of course, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, but your body is sensitive to it. And some people get very oversensitive to it and they can't even work in a room where various electrical equipment is switched on because they're so sensitized to uh, the electromagnetic radiation that uh, is being emitted. Um, and I've, I've experienced some of this myself where I've, as an electrical engineer, been in situations where in certain control rooms there's <clears throat> high levels of electromagnetic radiation, so much so that it almost fogs your brain. You know, you can't think clearly and you need to get out of the room. Um, so I, I know what can happen. Well, you can imagine if that's sustained and you're in that sort of environment for any length of time, then it definitely can't be doing you any good. And it certainly isn't. So, as I say, there are many scientists that have looked at this and there are many scientific papers, and I do mean scientific papers, that show the damage that's done by pretty low-level, non-ionizing electromagnetic radiation. But it's being ignored by governments because they're in the pockets of the huge telecommunications companies um, with vast amounts of money. And uh, I know that may sound like a conspiracy theory. Well, it is a conspiracy, but it's not a theory. It's a conspiracy fact. Mm -hmm. And that's how it is. It's very, very scary to, t to think about that because it's becoming increasingly difficult to escape that electromagnetic smog, as you so correctly described it. And with the advent of 5G, it's going to be even more difficult because the plan appears to be to blanket every corner of the world with it. There is no escape bar building some sort of Faraday cage and going to live in that. There's very little yeah. that so many people can do. And we're not getting a very good sell from the marketers with regard to the benefits of it. I mean, I don't even see much advertising to say that, well, you're going to, your life is going to benefit from 5G because of A, B or C. It just seems to be, oh, we're going to have faster Netflix speeds or whatever. And people, this is the thing that just astonishes me. People are accepting of that. I mean, that's good enough for people rather yes. than actually examining, well, could this have an effect on me? Could this harm me? And then if you do some research and decide that, well, it doesn't, well, then you've made your choice, fine. But it's the blind acceptance is what really, really gets to me. And that must be very frustrating for you as well, having, having written this book together to go out into the world and talk to people, having amassed so much knowledge about the subject now, and just to see that blind level of acceptance, how have you dealt with that? 
It's you're quite correct. It is very difficult, and for the most part, uh, people don't want to know. They'd rather turn their back on it because, you know, they've just been promised a new shiny phone, mm. which uh, with all the sorts of promises of fantastic camera and high speed, and they'll now be able to download and watch movies without any interruption on their phone. And uh, these little shiny things that they're being offered seems to be enough for most people to go, oh, yeah, well, you know, this is going to be great. And uh, they they really allow themselves to be blindsided into the downside of it, you know. And, and this is not because we're Luddites or anything like that. You know, we use, we use technology ourselves. You have to in this day and age. But we try to put in measures to protect ourselves as much as we can. But you're absolutely right. The, the way that it's been stepped up um, is is very difficult, very, very difficult to avoid. Um, you know, there are little measures that you can take and what we recommend to people, you know, not to have televisions in the room, not to have any electrical devices in their bedrooms, you know, when they're going to sleep because the body needs, that's one of its great times during hours of darkness when one of the antioxidants that it releases, I think it's melatonin, um, it starts to clean up the body. And is why some of the studies for uh, shift workers who end up reversing their sleep patterns and working during hours of darkness and then try to sleep in daylight, um, their body's cycle is disrupted. So they don't release the melatonin, the antioxidant cleanup system, at the correct time. So they, they get a, a buildup of uh, free radicals and statistically it can be shown that night shift workers who are working night shifts like that have a shorter life expectancy than people who are working normal daylight hours. And, you know, this is statistically provable. Uh, so it's not, it's not sort of my opinion. Now, there is a reason for that and it's the reason I've just mentioned. It's because they've disrupted the body's natural release of melatonin to clean up the free radicals that have been released during the day. The other thing, of course, is that they're pushing out uh, 5G be, uh, through the Internet of Things so that everything's going to be connected. So your fridge can tell you when you're running out of milk, um, as if you can't actually check that for yourself. But that's, yeah. you know, um, uh, but it's being sold on this um, whole idea of everything can be uh, technological. It, it's very futuristic and it's it's got an awful lot of people um, really excited about these ideas. You know, again, the um, uh, Hollywood industry has been putting out these uh, various films over the years to make it all look terribly wonderful and utopian when, you know, you just click your fingers and everything gets turned on, turned off, or, what you know, you give instructions. So it looks like it's all going to be ever so wonderful. Um, but it's quite clear that when everything is connected, um, uh, people lose control over what they're doing in their lives and that is part of the idea again it sounds conspiracy theorist it really isn't the the idea is so that more control can be taken away from people um and there are all sorts of implications you know like the social credit system that they've already rolled out in china whereby if if people are uh, don't comply with certain um I don't know, rules, rules or, yes, well, is it, yes, but certain things that they're supposed to do, the way they're supposed to act, uh, if they don't comply, they can find that they might lose some, some of their credits or they might not be allowed to 
go somewhere, travel. They might not, you know, they'll be stopped from taking the choices, taking the decisions that they want over their own lives. And this, again, is is extremely scary. But people need to know that it's not just a question of some shiny toys and, you know, upgraded technology. There's something more behind it. And I'm, you know, firm believer that people need the information uh, so that they can make truly informed decisions. And most people just do not have the information that they need. And they're just buying into, as you say, the, the, the ideas that are being promoted through the media. And they're only getting very, very little, well, they're only getting one side of the picture. And so they're ba- basing their choices on... Very, no, very limited on, on, Yes, they're not basing their choices on the full picture. They don't understand what's, what's happening. Yeah, that's very, very interesting and an important correlation to make and one that was discussed by my previous guest on the show, Wayne McCroy, if anyone wants to check out that episode. It reminds me again, here's another uh, another popular culture analogy for you, but of the Black Mirror episode, Nosedive, which was from series three, I think, which basically shows exactly what the social credit system is all about. And Having already done some research myself on what social crediting was and then seeing that episode, it was absolutely terrifying, but in an educational way. And I would recommend that anybody has a look at that episode called Nosedive of Black Mirror, which uh, the current Netflix generation will be able to find very, very easily. So, yeah, it's just interesting that you bring that point up as well. It just points to a transhumanist agenda, as far as I can see. And that's yeah. certainly not good for any kind of natural being. And we are natural beings. We're electromagnetic beings of frequency. And if there's any kind of pollutant that gets in the way of our health, well, then there are going to be major, major problems. And that's exactly what's happening now. So to ask a big question, a broad question, I guess, do you think that... 5G is in any way responsible or can be linked to what we're being told is a coronavirus? Personally, I don't think so. Uh, I know there's various stories about um, the level of 5G that's been used in Wuhan or the surrounding areas, but I I don't think so. Um, Looking at some of the other reports that have come out of Wuhan, I, I think it's it's. I'm not if if there is 5G there at any level, it's certainly not going to be helping anyone. That's for sure. Yeah. But I wouldn't, from the information I've been able to find, I wouldn't blame this whole thing on 5G. And of course, that it can't be. You know, 5G is not laid out all across the world at this stage, and yet they're claiming the coronavirus is everywhere. Uh, you know, at high levels, you know, in countries that haven't got 5G. I mean, the UK hasn't got 5G, a proper 5G network. Um, and yet we're told there's thousands dying from from it and more that are, uh, you know, have come down with it, a sort of coronavirus positive. So, no, I don't think it's 5G. Um, I think they've been able to latch on to, again, this uh, fake virus and then... Uh, market it as a pandemic <clears throat> and then but they've been able to bring in their emergency powers because they've been able to declare it a world pandemic and then they've been able to bring in all these draconian measures you know which are ridiculous some of the things that they're doing as well as being very harmful to human beings as you quite rightly said we're social creatures and what are the things they're doing you can't even go and meet your own family you know and if you do happen to see one of your family out you can you can't get any closer than two meters i mean it's, it's just a disgrace and again 
What makes it worse for us is we know that it's not based on anything. And that's why I say we, the world, the normal human beings, need to be able to push this back to the governments and the medical establishment to say, give us the proof. We're not prepared to put up with doing these ridiculous things that you want us to do unless you can give us the proof there is a virus behind this. And I, you know, I would stake <laughs> my reputation, my life on it. They will not be able to find it because it's not there. And it goes for any virus, really. But we're talking about this particular one. They, they will not be able to find there is a virus a virus uh, behind this but they've just used it it's so easy they've got the world um, brainwashed into thinking these things exist and they can blame almost anything on it they've tried it a few times over the years um, <clears throat> so people just fall for it and then they they've bought in all these measures which they would never have ever got away with um, unless they've been able to declare this world pandemic um, it's <laughs> incredible incredible it appears that the real contagion is fear yes it, it's the the real the real pandemic as i've said is in uh, false information by the government and uh, bad testing you know any testing that is done um is a recipe for disaster it's not going to prove anything and because you can't trust the people who are sort of uh, the collators of this information i mean we're seeing even now the manipulation of the uh, monthly come yearly death rates in the uk um you know you can see what looks like uh, obvious manipulation in there um so you you can't trust any of the figures that are put out by the uh, mainstream and and again i know that sounds very conspiratorial but you know over the many years that we've been looking into these things and not just the health aspect of it you know uh, global politics as well which is another of our uh, subjects that we spend a lot of time looking at we can see what's gone off for, and this has gone off for decades uh, um, it's not just something that's new um, but that's a that's another story <laughs> relevant to to all the geopolitics is the uh, um, the 2030 agenda which is um, well, it covers a, a number of different topics, but uh, one of the goals, because uh, it's now called the glo global goals, to get everyone, you know, thinking they're a good thing. But the um, global goal uh, three is is to do with health, and one of their um, points that they make is to um, make sure that everyone has access to um, medicines and vaccines. So medicines and vaccines for all. You know, so everyone's got to have them. And again, this is another reason why people need the information so that they can um, well, not fight back, but so they've got enough information to be able to understand what's going on, what really makes the mill. Again, the, that's the reason for the title of the book. And then they can make informed decisions about what they want to do about it. Personally, I'd rather not be sick than need medicine and vaccines. I don't see medicine and vaccines as being crucial to my personal health. I see Definitely. prevention as being the most crucial thing to my personal health. Yeah, and, and that's what we hope we've shown in our book, how you can be and should be naturally healthy. Uh, you know, that's it's as simple as that. And we, we tell people, that's why, as you quite rightly pointed out, it is a bit like a detective story, a novel. Read it all the way through. You'll see how the evidence builds to show that there is no evidence to support the medical establishment. Uh, and all the evidence shows that the human body could and should be naturally healthy, um, providing you follow a few simple rules, um, which is quite liberating, we think. 
Well, it was certainly liberating reading the book. It's called What Really Makes You Ill? Why Everything You Thought You Knew About Disease Is Wrong. Dawn and David, thank you so much for joining me. Have you any kind of last message for the listeners before we sign off? And I'd love if you can tell people how they can get their hands on the book and more information if they so wish, please. Sure. Well, we we do have a a website, which is uh, called... uh, what really makes you ill.com. Um, so people can contact us there. Uh, we started, there's a fairly new website, so we've just started putting a, a few of the uh, podcasts that we've done so people can have a listen to talks that, like this that we've done with other people. Um, they can find out a little bit more about the book. Uh, there is a, an email on there, so they can't. Can, can contact us, but we, we'd ask people not to use it like the Buddha doctor's surgery. We're not there to offer medical advice on their particular ailments. Um, the information, you know, we stress when we're not doctors, we're researchers. We've compiled a lot of information over many years and it's, it's all in the book. And we hope that people can read the book and then they will be informed enough to be able to make their own decision and realise what it is that's making them ill if they are ill and what to do about it. The information will be there for them to make up their own minds and take back control of their health. I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Dawn Lester and David Parker, it's been interesting, enlightening and a great pleasure speaking to you today on Alchemy. Thank you for the work you do and thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Alchemy, alchemy, alchemy. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Alchemy. It's been my great pleasure to host another episode and I'm looking forward to bringing you many more. If you would like to donate to the show and it is your donations that keep us afloat and allow me to do this, it would be greatly appreciated. You'll find the links on the website, PayPal, Patreon, all the usual bits and pieces are there. And uh, thank you in advance for that. So until the next time, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Alchemy. Will, intelligence, imagination. Are you
Alchemy. 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 Alchemy.